You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Rising gun violence in Metro Vancouver. Now four people have lost their lives since Tuesday. That includes a man and a woman shot early this morning in Langley. Our Jill Bennett is covering the story for us tonight. Jill, the pattern here is sounding all too familiar. Well, it's becoming an all-too-familiar scene. Police are called to a report of shots fired. They arrived to find victims in a vehicle or near a vehicle and another vehicle abandoned a short distance away. That unfolded once again this morning. Several blocks of 64th Avenue around 232nd and 236th were behind police tape today as investigators searched a vast area. We have uh, forensic identification uh, officers and we have the crime scene uh, officers from the integrated uh, homicide investigation team still at the scene, processing the scene. Just before 6 a.m., there was a shooting near 232nd. Down the road near 236th, a vehicle was found. It had crashed into the bushes. Officers found a man and a woman there, both with gunshots. And despite attempts to save them, they both died a short time later. Uh, we believe the incident was targeted. At the initial crime scene, this red Jeep was found, doors wide open and windshield smashed. It's unclear if this was the suspect vehicle, but unconfirmed reports say police were busy searching in nearby Williams Park. I get up early in the morning. I'm, I'm, I'm up walking around and these two cars went screaming by here. Like Several nearby residents say it's unnerving to hear about the shooting and see the police tape surrounding such a large area. If you take a look at what's going on around here lately, it's um, a little unnerving. And I've been here uh, 30 years. Eh? Things are definitely changing. Yeah, uh, Not very safe. Not very safe. Yeah. Time to get out of here, I think. Time to move. The early morning shooting in Langley is the latest in a string of Metro Vancouver and Fraser Valley shootings all taking place in otherwise quiet neighborhoods. It's uh, absolutely unacceptable what's taking, uh, taking place on uh, streets in uh, the lower mainland. Uh, these shootings are just, uh, just appalling uh, and there's no place for them uh, in, uh, in, a civilized, uh, in a civilized society. Now, despite this latest shooting in Langley happening within about 12 hours of another fatal shooting in the Fraser Valley, I had investigators say there is no connection between the two. In fact, talking about the Langley shooting, they say there is no information to indicate there are any links to any other acts of violence. Also, no word on any suspects or any arrests. Back to you. Jill Bennett in Surrey tonight. Well, those murders in Langley coming just hours after another fatal shooting that Jill briefly alluded to, this one in Abbotsford. And this afternoon, the integrated homicide investigation team identified the victim. Catherine Urquhart joins us now with those details. And Catherine, these are very young people involved. They are, Chris. The deceased was just 18 years old and two other young men were wounded, one of them only 17. Both turned up last night at separate Metro Vancouver hospitals and they are expected to survive. The shooting happened at about 6 p.m. near Huntington Road and Gladwin Road. And we've learned many new details since we first told you about this on last night's news hour. We now know that when police arrived, a male victim was found inside a parked vehicle with gunshot wounds. That person, 18-year-old Sahanjeep Sidhu of Abbotsford, died at the scene. The suspect vehicle, a black Nissan Pathfinder, was found about 30 minutes later. It was on fire in the 27,000 block of 60th Avenue in Langley. 
Police say that while Sadu did not have a criminal record, he was known to them. They believe the murder was targeted and is linked to other gang violence in the Lower Mainland. People will be surprised. Well, a 17-year-old and Mr. Sudu was 18-year-old. These are young people in the crossfires. And it's just a reminder that, you know, people in the lifestyle, uh, they are in harm's way and they need to get out of that lifestyle. No doubt. Listen, uh, Catherine, the human costs here are obvious, but a lot of people think this is just bad guy on bad guy. There are other reasons that all of us are impacted here. Go Mm -hmm. over those. Yeah, Chris, police are spending countless hours trying to solve these cases. That takes officers away from other work. And then there are the medical costs. Paramedics are involved, as are nurses and doctors. When injured gangsters show up at hospitals, extra police are often called in, and other patients may be diverted to different hospitals for safety reasons. Chris? Now, there are more reasons, I guess, that we are all implicated in these. Thanks very much, Catherine. A new wildfire flaring up in the East Kootenai. The fire burning on St. Mary's Reserve, about 14 kilometers northeast of Cranbrook. Crews say they're making good progress on it, thanks to an air tanker based in the area. All flights to and from the Canadian Rockies International Airport have been cancelled until at least midnight tonight as a precaution. An investigation into a cause is underway, but there was no lightning in the area, so it's believed this one was caused by humans. It went so fast. At first it looked like the fire was going north and then five minutes later it's coming right at us and everyone got ordered to leave. So we had to grab all our valuables and just leave. People are a little worried. I mean, you know, when you're being asked to leave your home, it's, it's, it's definitely worrisome. Um, but uh, I do know that we're, we have emergency crews are out there doing the work that they need to do. The hot weather is only fueling concerns about the wildfires burning in the province right now. This as we get our first look at catastrophic damage around Pressy Lake. This drone video released by the Thompson-Nicola Regional District. Dozens of homes have been lost to the Elephant Hill fire, which has flared up again thanks to gusty winds. Now, our Nadia Stewart joins us live. Uh, Nadia, this video was released to media today. After the district says it was shown to affected residents, but some are telling you a different story. Yeah, that's right, Chris. It's a story of frustration. They say they have lots of questions and they're trying to get answers from anyone at this point. They just want to know exactly what happened in their community. Like my children said, it's it's just a tough month. It was all our stuff. We just retired. Amidst the ash and debris are the memories of those who called Pressy Lake home, the latest central B.C. community left devastated by the Elephant Hill wildfire. The fire now gone, lots of questions remain. Might be uh, the frustration showing, but it's just absolutely insane, the feeling that we have right now of, of feeling lost. Smith and other residents started hearing about the damage on August 13th, after the fire tore through Pressy Lake a couple of days earlier. Personnel were on the ground battling the blaze. Residents understand the difficulties this fire presents, but say they have yet to hear from officials what was done to protect their community. Give us some answers. That's all we want. And they are not satisfied with what they're being told so far. And we're told that we should go to the Freedom of Information Act by a senior information officer in Victoria That makes me think, well, I just want to know what you did. It shouldn't be a big secret. 
if they said that they couldn't get in there because of the fire was too intense or they didn't have the crews, they were too uh, widespread uh, throughout the province because of all the fires, we would understand that. The Thompson-Nicola Regional District says only the BC Wildfire Service can provide the answers residents are looking for. But those questions were not immediately answered when we asked them either. A fire information officer tells Global News they have crews on the ground right now to protect structures. That's offering little comfort at this point. I have to get in there to see if, if there is anything left, something. A total of 57 properties were destroyed. The breakdown, 33 residents, that's cabins or permanent homes and 24 other buildings like garages or outbuildings. Now, the TNRD tells me that if residents would like to get in once it's safe, the TNRD is willing to escort folks in, bring them in on buses so they can get a look at the damage on the ground. Chris. A huge loss for sure. Okay, thank you, Nadia Stewart, reporting in Sheridan Lake. Now, a BC couple is going ahead with what will no doubt be a memorable wedding this weekend, so close to the fire zone. They are getting hitched on the other side of Green Lake, where there is no evacuation order yet, at the Flying U Ranch. More than 80 guests have already arrived for the party. And while the nuptials were in question a couple of days ago due to the conditions, they are good to go now. I mean, it's been touch and go, but everything's safe up here on Green Lake, uh, this side of the lake, uh, right by the Flying U. So we're confident that over the next couple of days, over the weekend, uh, we're going to have a perfect weekend uh, for a great wedding at the Flying U Ranch. But I was a bit nervous, yes. <laughs> but now I'm feeling really great, and uh, the smoke's much better, and yeah, we're ready to go. Congratulations to them. Well, the long weekend exodus is underway, and if you didn't make a ferry reservation, be prepared to arrive early and wait. There have been long lines at the Tawasin Ferry Terminal pretty much all day. Not surprising, given it is the unofficial last weekend of summer with kids returning to school next week. Uh, the exodus on the highway was seen a little bit earlier today. And as we head into this beautiful weekend, it will probably come as no surprise to learn this summer is shaping up to be one of the driest on record in Metro Vancouver. Jennifer Palma explains how rare it is to see so little rain and some of the challenges that's created. It's the last long weekend of the summer and most are looking to cool down as temperatures get set to soar. But it's not just humans looking to beat the heat. On the farm, cows are getting misted when the mercury rises. Our ladies are doing a pretty good job here. Um, we have a pretty cool environment for them with fans and misters that spray them when they're eating. And they also have a water station that fills up for them automatically when it's, yeah, when it's time to have a drink. But this one is suffering a bit in size. It's been a rough growing season at a popular annual attraction. Staff at the Chilliwack Corn Maze and Pumpkin Farm have been watering as much as possible to get their crops to grow. At a nearby pumpkin field, the yield is smaller by a third. We have ones from our white pumpkins. There are many whites, but the plants are rather small this year. We should have two or three pumpkins on this plant with a bit of trail. And that's not happening yet. Irrigating is a challenge because of their 12-acre corn maze. They've had success, but the maze has grown in unevenly. 
this July and August, adding up to being the driest since 1937, and the lack of water is showing. It's not just us. There's so many farmers whose crops are having low yields, and there's other farmers that have the same thing, and so they'll, everybody's going to take what they can get, right? Even, you know, we've had third or fourth cuts for grass for some farmers, and, and I don't even know if they'll get those either. It's obvious wherever you look how dry the golden landscape is. So much so, Metro Vancouver is reminding the public that sparks and flames can quickly turn into a fire. You know, we're cautioning the public to be um, vigilant and um, uh, cautious when they're out in the parks over the weekend. So be mindful of any kind of an ignition source. So um, uh, campfires are not permitted in our parks. The heat will remain throughout the weekend, so best to stay in, find a shady spot, or stake out a place near your favorite watering hole. Jennifer Palma, Global News. All right, let's bring in our meteorologist Yvonne Shell with some numbers showing just how little rain we've had. Yvonne? That's right, Sophie. We've only seen seven millimeters out of the airport, and this is taking a combined for both our July and August. The numbers typically are the average for both of the months should be into the 30s, uh, but we only saw five millimeters last month in August, giving us the total, and this is the driest record so far since 1937. It's not uncommon to see a dry July or a dry August, but combined, we're definitely seeing it record-breaking. We're also looking at the potential sea record-breaking temperatures into the weekend, a special weather statement is in effect. I'll have more on that and I'm on top of the Double Decker Diner trying out some of the food. We've got fish and chips. These are the quesadillas. More from the PE coming up shortly. Guys? Alright, thanks very much Yvonne. And one last note on the weather tonight. The province announcing today a level 3 drought rating for Vancouver Island and the Gulf Islands. Level 3 drought conditions call for voluntary water use restrictions by residents, industry, farmers and municipalities. An unsolved murder tears a family apart. When Chelsea Gauthier disappeared, leaving two young children behind, her dad expected the worst. When they found and identified her body, he vowed she would not die in vain. What he's telling Global News tonight about how and why she died and why it's a warning to parents everywhere, coming up in just over a minute. The shocking arrest of a nurse who was only following the rules. What she says about the ordeal later on the news hour. And surveillance video showing the moment shoppers run for cover in a Toronto area mall as a brazen shooting unfolds right in front of hundreds of witnesses. An Abbotsford father faced with the devastating murder of his young daughter is speaking exclusively to Global News tonight with a warning for all parents. The body of 22-year-old Chelsea Gaucher was found last month in Mission. Her father, Ray, says the deterioration of her life began with something that will soon be legal. Marijuana. Rumina Dea reports. How do you explain to a two-year-old that her mother is never coming home? Ray Gaucher's daughter, Chelsea, was murdered. Their last words to each other via text message. And she said, I love you, and I said, I love you too. No, is it? 22 year old Chelsea, mom to two little girls, was last seen alive July 27th at this McDonald's in Abbotsford, where she connected with at least two unidentified men. Her body found weeks later in mission on August 16th. Oh, it's 11 o'clock at night. Can I wait till tomorrow? And they're like, no. And that is very gut wrenching. It almost makes you want to throw up. 
Ahit says Gaucher was targeted. The killer still out there. No one has been arrested. Homicide investigators are not releasing any details regarding a motive. But Gaucher's father's gut tells him it was drug-related. If she was not doing that, if she was not with those people involved with this, she'd be standing with us right now. Chelsea's death cannot be for nothing, says her family. They're warning to parents, talk to your kids, stick your nose in their business. She was young, she was scared, she made mistakes. She shouldn't be murdered for making mistakes. Um, I could have possibly put a stop to what happened to her. I know she would have at least listened to me a little bit. Um, But the only real message I can really think of is educate yourselves. Because this is serious. This could be you tomorrow. Romina Dea, Global News. The vigil for Chelsea will be, uh, will set, is set for tomorrow night at 7.30 in Abbotsford. We've got all the details on our website at globalnews.ca slash bc. A crisis in the mighty Fraser. What the DFO is doing to crack down on illegal salmon fishing and the huge penalties for those who break the rules. And it's a magical milestone why this day is so special to Harry Potter fans. BC's salmon fishery is in big trouble this year with extremely low sockeye returns. The fishery is closed in a desperate attempt to save the few fish returning to BC waterways. But as Linda Aylesworth reports, that is not stopping some unscrupulous anglers from going after the salmon anyway. And the DFO is cracking down. The 43-meter Canadian Coast Guard ship Martin Charles is dedicated to conservation protection. It has a crew of nine uh, uh, Coast Guard members with uh, three dedicated uh, fisher officers on at all time. Works around the clock. She goes where the trouble is. And right now, the trouble is on and at the mouth of the Fraser River. The level of uh, salmon that are returning to the Fraser River this year are at, uh, uh, at probably the lowest level we've seen historically. As a result, no salmon fishing, with the exception of a reduced First Nations fishery, has been allowed on the Fraser this summer. And because sockeye salmon are suffering the greatest, they cannot be taken anywhere along the coast. Get caught with one in your boat? We have the authority in the village to seize uh, fishing gear, rods, boats, if it comes down to it. Certainly that's pretty drastic, but uh, you know we need to drive the point home that this is very serious, uh, that it's closed for a reason. And yet there has been a high level of non-compliance, enough to have brought the Charles Martin's crew from the remote waters they usually enforce down to the mouth of the Fraser. If you do get caught, what's the penalty? Well, you're looking for fail to record your fish is a $100 fine. Fishing without a license, $150 fine. Barbed hook is 150 bucks for each hook. So it can add up very, very quickly. Their presence here frees up other fisheries officers to deal with non-compliance upriver, particularly in the waters of the Fraser Canyon. Well, we've got a helicopter that we're using. We've got uh, fast uh, jet boats. And we've got uh, very sophisticated night vision equipment. Tough measures for tough times, with only 10% of the expected sockeye return making it back to the Fraser this summer. Literally every fish that makes it upstream to spawn counts. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Premier John Horgan following through on a campaign promise to give former foster children a leg up. 
Horgan announcing today that tuition at all 25 of B.C.'s post-secondary schools will be waived for young people who were formerly in government care. People between the ages of 19 and 26 who were in government care for at least two years are eligible. And we will doing, we'll be doing much, much more to remove barriers to those who are being held back because of economic circumstance, absolutely. But today we wanted to focus on a program that has demonstrated success in the form of the two individuals we had the privilege of hearing today. And we want to make sure that individuals like Jordana and Ruby uh, multiply in every corner of BC, and this program will help us do that. Well, today is a very big day for Harry Potter fans. Hundreds gathered around the famed Platform 9 and 3 quarters sign at London's King Cross Station. That's because September 1st, 2017, is the fictional date when a grown-up Harry Potter sends his own son off to Hogwarts. Another new treat for Potter fans, the fan website now has a virtual tour of the Young Wizard School. It's the first time fans can explore Hogwarts on their own. The website allows fans to fly through the exterior of the castle, the forbidden forest, including Hagrid's hut and the Quidditch pitch. <laughs> Harry Potter. I will be checking out that website during the next no commercial doubt break. You will. <laughs> All right, dramatic video of a nurse dragged out of a hospital. Then walk. Why the rough treatment from police when she was only doing her job? And a warning about hepatitis A in pineapple. What to watch for coming up on the news hour. Surveillance video shows shoppers scrambling for safety as a man is chased and gunned down in a Toronto mall. It happened last night and apparently started with a confrontation outside the mall. Police say 22-year-old Jovain Clark was shot several times. It was scary. You know, we you know, we heard the two gunshots or I heard the two gunshots when I was outside making a call in the library and uh, ran inside and told the girls get under the table. You know, um, there was about 15 of us. Everyone ducked under the table and we heard another three more gunshots. Luckily, no one else was injured. The shooter fled and is still at large. Exactly one week after Hurricane Harvey hit the Texas coast, millions of storm survivors are now grappling with the unprecedented devastation left in its wake. For a city surrounded by flood water, tonight it's drinking water they desperately need. We're going to limit you to two gallons per family, okay? In Beaumont, thousands waiting for hours in critical need of dwindling supplies. We have nothing. We have no water. We ran out about three to four days ago. Food, we had nothing. Looking for anything that's left in a city losing ground. The floodwaters could rise for another two days. Thousands rescued in this city alone. This may be their last chance to leave. The young and elderly plucked from danger and dropped onto dry land. Our house is definitely gone, cars were gone. We don't know what we're gonna do. The U.S. Navy on a search and rescue mission in Vitor, Texas. Faces of the stranded, desperate for help, finally reaching safety. Nearby Port Arthur is a swamp. Rescue teams still going door to door. At shelters everywhere, thousands are pouring in. Many loaded onto military planes being sent hundreds of miles away. Oh, my God, it was hard. The Mims family, with a group of 10 children, has nowhere to turn. There's nothing we can do. I mean, we stay here. It's nothing. What, what are we going to do? 
Outside Houston, another explosion at the Arkema chemical plant today, knocked offline by the storm. Safety concerns keeping thousands of evacuees away. A week ago, Harvey made landfall. A landscape changed today. Tonight, the weakened system still won't let go. Now hitting Tennessee. Still, many more need help and remain out of reach. A region in peril, waiting through disaster. Miguel Almaguer, NBC News, Port Arthur, Texas. A shocking scene in a hospital emergency room in Utah caught on camera, and it's generating widespread outrage. A police officer roughly arresting a nurse who says she was just following the hospital's rules and doing her job. Tonight, that nurse is speaking out. Screams, pleas, and protests inside an emergency room. The cries of a nurse handcuffed, captured by hospital and police cameras. Then walk. The video that may have been edited shows University of Utah hospital nurse Alex Wubbles being confronted by two Salt Lake City police officers in July. My heart was pounding and I had red flags. I had, my flags were already waving for minutes. Wubbles says Detective Jeff Payne demanded a blood sample from a truck driver severely burned and unconscious after a fiery crash caused by another car fleeing police. This was something Wobbles objects, citing the hospital's policy that blood can't be taken without consent from the patient, a warrant, or a patient that is under arrest. That's when Detective Payne reacts. Payne says she was interfering with the investigation and that his commanding officer told him to make an arrest. Today, the Salt Lake City Police Chief says he apologized to Wubbles and that Detective Payne has been placed on paid administrative leave. I want to be very clear. We take this very seriously. Wubbles was detained for about 20 minutes before being released. They're officers of the peace, and this was by no means a peaceful process when it very much so could have been. A shocking arrest sparking outrage that Nurse Wubbles hopes leads to a positive change in the ER. Steve Patterson, NBC News. In health matters tonight, the B.C. Center for Disease Control is warning consumers that the hepatitis A virus has been detected in some Western family brand pineapple products. The notice affects both pineapple chunks and ready-to-go cups with a best before date of August 19th. They were sold at 38 Save-On Foods, Overweighty Foods, and Price Mart stores across B.C. No illnesses have been reported yet. But if you might have eaten one of these products, you should receive a dose of hepatitis A vaccine quickly. And anyone who has the products obviously should throw them out. The CDC also says other products might be affected and more information will be provided as soon as it becomes available. Well, still to come on the news hour, the secret to success for those little donuts. Flour, water, mix. Simple ingredients, of course, but Squire goes behind the counter to find out why it's more than the batter that matters. And it cost just over a dime when it was first sold, but the owner of the first Spider-Man comic book is about to cash in big time. A rare comic book up for sale in Victoria, the staggering estimated price and how much the owner paid for it 
right after the forecast. And Yvonne Schell is down at the PNE once again with that forecast and sampling all the food there as well. We'll talk about the mini donuts later, Yvonne, but you've been trying pretty much everything. Yes, it's uh, the PE meals that we're trying every day here, but the heat is going to be the big weather story. We're just on top of the Double Decker Diner. There's a great view this evening, and the food is delicious. I'll show you what we're serving up in just a moment. But as we get to the forecast and look outside there, it has been stunning. If you're into the heat, it is going to get very hot and towards the weekend, our tower cam out there. And a reminder, participation is helping Canada celebrate 150 years and giving 150 suggestions and ways to stay fit. And today's suggestion is swimming, which will be very fitting. You'll want to stay cool as we get in towards the long weekend. Here's a look at some of the numbers today. So we climbed up to 23. That's if you were closer to the water on the Almanac. Inland sections were up to 27 degrees. The average for this time of the year sits at 21 degrees and a record on this day would be closer to 29 degrees. A look ahead at the satellite and radar and what we are going to be seeing. The potential is there for the rainfall. It'll really be across the northern half of the province where we are looking at that rain and heavy at times. Our birthdays this evening, my monitors failed on us, so we're just going to skip ahead, but you'll notice we've got birthdays, and then let's take a look at some of the anniversaries as well. Oh, there we go. We've got anniversaries. Don and Nina and Ben Deddy from Nelson celebrating their 70th, and Jack and Bernice Foster, uh, Forrester rather, from Abbotsford celebrating their 70th, so congratulations to everyone. Here's the satellite and radar that we are looking at. The north and central coast is where we're tracking some precipitation, and the potential across the central interior will be for both days out of the weekend and even in towards our Monday, where we could see some instability tomorrow and the risk of thunderstorms. So upper level ridge is going to build in and this is the dominant feature where we've got record-breaking heat Sunday, Monday and leading in towards our Tuesday. At the very least we'll still see that hot weather continuing for our Wednesday. Coastal sections tomorrow will start off as rain and clearing for the afternoon and then the next system will push in on Sunday. A slight risk of an afternoon thunderstorm for the central interior with some instability. Much of the southern half of the province the heat is on but it'll be even hotter for Sunday onwards and across coastal sections, we are going to see a slight chance for some shower activity for the northern sections of the island. But all areas across the island, inland, will be hot once again into the low 30s. And what we'll see for our five-day forecast across Metro Vancouver... Temperatures hot Sunday, Monday. That's what you have to keep in mind for your long weekend. Tuesday, Wednesday, still remaining hot and dry as well. We're on top of the Double Decker Diner, and I'm joined by Anthony Cross. You're the owner. This is a family-run business. We've got fish and chips, one of the popular items. Tell us a little bit about what else you're doing here at the PE. Well, first I'll tell you about this fish and chip. The fish and chip is actually mango infused, so it's a mango battered fish and chips, and it is phenomenal. Got a little bit of it to it as well, so it's kind of a little bit of spice. Uh, well seasoned, the fries. Um, we also season our fries, so it's not just a plain fries. It's got some something, something to it. Um, what else would you like to know? Uh, the Jamaican Me Juicy. You're also located just further down here as well. Yes, we have Jamaican Me Juicy going on just, just down there. And I'm telling you, the bombastic, it is Lord have mercy. It is <laughs> really, really good. We have an island mix. We have the mango. We have the strawberry. And we also have the piña calada. And it is, oh, Lord, I'm telling you, it is good. So that please, is- you can cool yourself down at the peony with a Jamaican Me Juicy. <laughs> or stop by the Double Decker Diner. Come, up, come, up, come on upstairs and hang out with us all. This is delicious. Well, thank you so much, Anthony. Once again, I'll bring you some guys back to the studio. For now, back Says to you. that every night. So hot. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're always gone by the time she makes it back here. Oh, the food never comes. Thanks, Yvonne. Oh, so good. The bombastic is fantastic. That guy is <laughs> just He's worth color. the price of admission. Right? He sure is. <laughs> 
Well, here's a story that might send you scrambling to look through your old comic books. For sale in Victoria, a rare comic featuring the first ever appearance of Spider-Man. The man selling it for the owner just has pictures to show off right now as the real thing is in a safe deposit box. That's because he estimates it could go for a cool million dollars. The price on the cover when it was sold, 12 cents. The current owner paid... Uh, in 1983, a Victoria woman bought this copy of Amazing Fantasy 15 for $450, and um, she was clever um, and held on to it. But over the years, she's come into my store and shown me the book and had it appraised, and I've told her, I remember it being worth $5,000, $10,000, the next time was $50,000, and now we're, we're talking half a million to a million. Um, it's the, considered the third most valuable comic after Superman and Batman's first appearances. And on the topic of collectibles, or something that will probably become a collectible, LEGO has unveiled a new ultimate model of the Millennium Falcon from Star Wars, with more than 7,500 pieces. It's bigger than the previous largest LEGO model, the Taj Mahal. It's nearly three feet long and two feet wide, and comes with a bunch of Star Wars figurines. The price tag is equally big, $800 U.S., but it looks really cool. Looks like it's in better shape than Han Solo's original <laughs> Millennium Falcon. Yeah, well, for many people, retirement dreams are all about relaxation, travel, and maybe spoiling the grandchildren. Yes, but for a Prince Rupert couple, it means working almost 24 hours a day, seven days a week, caring for wild animals. Nitu Garcha has their story. In and amongst these injured and healing eagles is 81-year-old Nancy Golinia. Ah, 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 ah. And this is just another day in her backyard. That one came with an eye injury. He was all black on one side. She and her 87-year-old husband run a wildlife shelter out of their Prince Rupert home. They're all heated boxes. They're specially made for animals. Hello, princess. Hello, you girl. From cats. He's a real sweetheart. And rabbits to birds, ducks, and owls. Over the last 28 years, they've cared for thousands of animals, usually housing around 70 at a time. If I didn't keep going, they're the ones that are going to uh, suffer for it. But this shelter is not a petting zoo. In fact, they only allow public visits during an open house held once a year. Because few animals, the Golinias say, are like these cats who can be safely exposed to human interaction. Any wild animal that, that interacts with a human, you're giving it a death sentence. They're open 24-7, paying for food, veterinary costs and supplies with private donations and largely from their own pensions. There's no way you could stay on top of things if, if, you, if you slept more than five hours. A frightened eagle attacked her husband, Gunther, about a year and a half ago. The blood poisoning almost cost him his leg. We all have our gifts and we have to, we have to find out what it is. I probably, mine is that uh, I, I love animals. The Golinias, overwhelmed and overworked, are looking for volunteers, adding they'll soon need to pass on the torch. That's really weighing us down. There's nothing we can do about it. You can't stop aging. These vulnerable creatures also counting on someone to come to the Golinias' aid. Neetu Garcha, Global News, Prince Rupert. Good for them. Hope they get some help. Okay, Barry's here in for Squire, who did mm -hmm. part-time duty today. A little bit, sure. Nice to see you. PNE is tiring him out. He, he needed a rest. <laughs> That's right. Uh, we're going to talk more tennis. Yes, uh, Dennis continues to be a menace at the U.S. Open.
Denis Shapovalov's breakout summer continues. He's now into the final 16 at the U.S. Open. And as you mentioned, Squire at the PNE finds out it is a big job making those little donuts. The machine that makes it all possible coming up. Canadian hanging in there at the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. The one and only right now, but he's uh, turning into a, a superstar every time I'm on this show. That's all I talk about. <laughs> Dennis. All right, thanks, guys. Yeah, the uh, summer of Dennis continues. Dennis Shapovalov, the 18-year-old shaggy-haired, backwards, hat-wearing Canadian, has made it to the final 16 at the U.S. Open. Shapovalov didn't actually have to complete his match against Britain's Kyle Edmund, who was forced to retire early in the fourth set with a back injury. Fashik Pospisil, speaking of back injuries, had to pull out of his doubles match, but he did watch his Canadian compatriot, Shapovalov, playing his second straight match in the big stadium at Arthur Ashe. Shapovalov beat Edmund in their last match on grass at Queen's Club in June. They were slugging it out in the first set. But Edmund, also a very good player, ranked in the top 40, takes it 6-3. But Shapovalov's got a break early in the second and consolidates, putting away the smash. Went up 4-1. And then big serve to take the second set, so it's all even. Shapovalov is a little old school with his backhand. Most of the players two-handers, not him. Like Federer, like Vavrinka, that one-handed backhand. Very strong on both sides of the ball. And he is playing the best ten of his, of his uh, young career. It's his rookie year on tour. He's only 18. Now, Edmund had his back lock up on him, and that was a huge factor. It was basically even until then, but Edmund couldn't move very well with the bad neck and back, and Shapovalov took advantage. Edmund forced to call it quits, and Shapovalov moving on to the fourth round. Youngest player since Michael Chang in 1989 to make it to the final 16. He'll meet a Spaniard, Pablo Carreño Busta, in the fourth round Sunday. The Canucks continue to sign veteran players who are on the downside of their careers. Today they got Thomas Vanek for one year, $2 million. Vanek was once a prolific scorer. He had 17 goals and 48 points in Detroit and Florida last year. The Canucks are Vanek's seventh team in the last four seasons. Red flag, maybe. NHL training camps open in less than two weeks. So many players are getting together for informal ice sessions to make sure they're up to speed for camp. For some players, like former Canuck Jeff Tambellini, they're waiting to just get an invitation to an NHL camp. At 33, he's hoping to get another shot to play in the world's best league. And they're right up the middle. Tip to Tambellini. The last time Jeff Tambellini played an NHL shift, Game 7 of the 2011 Stanley Cup Finals, which of course did not end well for the Canucks. Since then, he's mostly played in Europe, two years in Switzerland and four in Sweden. But just two years ago, he scored 29 goals in the AHL in Syracuse. At 33, he still feels he can help out an NHL team for a season or two. Well, I can still shoot, I can still skate, and uh, definitely have the experience. So no, I'd uh, love to be over here and take over more of a leadership role and uh, it's an important thing, I think, just to be able to be a good example for the young guys, be able to produce uh, play, but also be a good influence on uh, teams' younger stars that uh, need to develop and need to play early. Kessler looking for the hat trick. Off the post score, Jeff Tambellini cleans up. That was Tambellini's last NHL goal seven years ago. As of now, he's still waiting for a chance to get to an NHL camp. If it doesn't come, he'll try Europe again. He knows his playing days are counting down, but it's a great life, and he's still committed to bringing his best every night. I think you got to love the process of it. you got to love the training. you got to love the games. And uh, you know, after 
you know, 10, 12 years in the business, you got to love the whole part of playing the game. And uh, if you don't like the training, it gets harder every offseason. But uh, it's the business of mine now. I've made it into a company. And yes, Tambellini wouldn't mind following in the footsteps of his father when he's done playing, that being the management side of hockey. And he's already got a head start with a company called Factory Hockey that basically organizes on-ice and off-ice workouts for pros getting ready for training camp. Uh, I went to school in sports management, so it was just an opportunity to start a business when I was 24 and be able to continue it in the off-season and uh, kind of get my foot in the door as, a, as an owner and hopefully I'd be able to do my work and get uh, all the boys on the ice and together for the summer so uh, guys can stay in town and not be rushing off to their team so early. All right, FedEx Cup uh, playoff tournament number two is the Dell Technologies Championship from Boston. Dustin Johnson won the opening tournament last week, and he's in first place after round one, thanks to shots like that, five under 66. Jordan Spieth, by the way, one over 72. Abbotsford's Nick Taylor probably needs a top 10 this week to advance to the next tournament, which features only the top 70. This will help. Second shot on the par five. Nicely done. Would make that for Eagle. Taylor shot one over uh, 72, tied for 40 seconds, so still a lot of work to do. Adam Hadwin, of course, also out of Abbotsford. How about this shot? Holding out for birdie out of the bunker. He is currently at 70, round two tomorrow. It ends Labor Day Monday. And on the LPGA Tour, they're in Portland. Brooke Henderson loves this course, has played it twice, and has won the tournament twice. And holds out for an Eagle. She is tied for the lead after two rounds right now. There you go. Not bad at all. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Barry. Thank you, Barry. Well, if you are a mini donut eating machine, Squire Barnes finds the secret of the mini donut making machine. Coming up next. Well, if you've ever been to the PE pretty much ever, you have probably had those little donuts. Maybe you've had a lot of them. They look so good. They right do. Behind don't us. They? they crank out over a million of them at the PE, and Squire Barnes had the enviable assignment to find out how that's even possible. There are many things to see and do at the PE, and many have been here as long as anyone can remember. But when most people think of the PE, they think of these, the mini donuts. Next year will be year 50 for this company. That's Nathan Meyer. He has owned this company for eight years. He bought it off the Johnson family, who not only started the business, they built the donut making machines by hand. And that is the secret to its success. So there's uh, 16 of these yeah. machines. Um, we can put out 36 donuts a minute out of each one of these machines. So right here is where we make all the batter. Um, back out here in the kitchen, we do it in 10-pound batches. So measure up the flour there, dose the water over there, put it into the bowl, start the mixer, and then it comes out into the cans right over here. And then the machines do the rest. A simple but perfect contraption that cooks half the donut, flips it, cooks the other half before putting it into a glass container. But because every machine is almost 50 years old, you can't just be a baking expert to run this business. 50 bags of flour, 30 or so bags of sugar right over here, and then the most important thing, all the tools to keep everything up and running. There is no instruction manual. With these machines, you have to have an intimate knowledge of working with them to know how to maintain them. How often do you get asked about these machines? How often do people want to buy one? I get at least a request or two a week. Really? Yeah. Of people who want to buy them. But the machines aren't for sale, and they won't ever be for sale. In fact, in this business, 
It's good to stay old school. We try and hold the look to what it is because it's known for the red roof. It's known for the way that it is presented out here. It's one of the things ever since I've had this, same thing that I told the owner, the old owner when I bought it. It's a wonderful product. The look is great and it needs to stay how it is. It's been an icon and it should continue to be one. I just <laughs> Salivating. They salivating just right now. Plop those donuts down into that oil. Plop. 